Hi, it's Greyhauser, editor at Monorail News. We want to make it abundantly clear that we don't think the average person repeating these myths and rumors has malicious intent. We believe that it's people like Sam Elliott, author of Walt Disney, Hollywood's Dark Prince, who have true malicious intent. They're willingly and knowingly lying to the public about a man who unfortunately is dead and can no longer defend himself. On this episode of the podcast, we have Jim Corcus. He's a guy who's dedicated this last portion of his life, the past 20 or so years, to figuring out who Walt really was. He's conducted a lot of interviews with people who knew him, and he's handled a lot of documents, and he really knows his stuff. And we just hope that everyone listening will come in with an open mind, and maybe we'll learn something. After this short break, we'll get right to the episode. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy it. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions. How do I record an episode? How do I get my show into all the apps people like to listen? How do I make money from my podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. I love Anchor's easy-to-use drag-and-drop interface. You just drop in the conversations you have with your co-host, your monologues, or whatever else you want to record, and combine that with sound effects and music, and hit publish. It's really just that easy. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, Go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. Once again, that's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Hello and welcome to Monorail News Weekly. This week, we have an awesome treat for you. We have Jim Corcus. You may know him from his many, many awesome books. Who's Afraid of Song of the South? The Vault of Walt series. I mean, really, this guy does his homework. He knows his stuff, and we are so thrilled that he could join us today. Jim, how are you? Uh, well, I'm I'm great, and, and I'm excited to be uh, uh, on this uh, a podcast, and I, I hope that uh, I'll be entertaining and informative uh, uh, for the uh, uh, listeners, because we're going to be covering one of my favorite topics, which is debunking uh, some myths about Walt Disney. You know, Walt Disney uh, is, is such a larger-than-life character that uh, uh, for some people, today they look at him as mythological as, as if he were like Paul Bunyan and something like this he, he was a 
a human being, just like the the, the rest of us. And and he he was a a, a, a brother, a son, a, a father, a grandfather. Um, you know, and uh, he was not perfect, and he he didn't claim to, to be perfect. You know, he he, he was stubborn. He had a, 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 a temper. He'd make fun of other uh, uh, people, uh, all of that. But basically, you know, he was a good person. He had a good heart. And unfortunately, uh, he passed away about a half a century ago, and uh, it started... Uh, uh, making up an, an awful lot of, of stories and unfortunately you know when you debunk myths uh, the problem is is it, it's very hard to you know debunk a negative uh, you know he's not not something you know and and also the fact that even just by bringing it up sometimes now that that spreads that rumor you know uh, even further out there but what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about some of that and i'm going to give you some hard facts so it's not just the case of oh yes wolf was so nice he wouldn't have done something like that i'm going to give you some hard facts so those of you out there who are, who are fans of Walt, when you're confronted by these people who go, oh, no, no, I, I know everybody knows that. Everybody knows he was this way. Everybody knows he, he you know, uh, you'll have some hard facts to say, well, if that were the case, then what about this and this and this and this and this? And um, hopefully uh, we, we can do that. But, but it's hard because we like to believe the worst of people, and, and especially if there's somebody who is really nice, somebody who is really good, we go, no, there must be a really dark side to them. You know, I, I heard it about Mr. Rogers all the time. Well, he probably didn't really like kids. Or uh, Last year, a documentary came out about Fred Rogers and a... Uh, and, and a new book, which which is terrific. And the amazing thing is, is if you watch the documentary and if you read the book, you find out this guy was a nicer guy than he was on TV. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, as, as amazing as that is. But uh, again, there are people out there who present themselves as good people who present themselves as, as nice. I'm, I'm thinking of, of somebody like a Bill Cosby, and then suddenly you, you find out, oh my gosh, look, it, it, behind the curtain, this guy was doing this and this and this. Today, I think you'll find on this podcast that if you look behind Walt's curtain, Walt was pretty much the, the same guy that you saw on uh, TV each week, on, on, on his TV show. And, he didn't have, you know, a, a hidden agenda, and uh, and perhaps one of the worst things that we can say about him is that uh, he always wanted uh, uh, the cigarettes airbrushed out of uh, pictures taken of him because he didn't want to encourage kids to smoke. So sometimes 
you'll see photographs from the 40s and 50s and Walt is standing there and his two fingers seem to be oddly apart and there's this little white glaze up, up in the air but there's nothing between the fingers and it, because uh, he had asked for them to uh, airbrush out cigarettes. I mean, and Jim, you're talking about like manipulating images and these sorts of things, right? And I think that this is really not just important conversations for us to be having as fans of Disney and as consumers of the media he created, but as concerned citizens. I mean, we see every day in the media, in academia, in politics, these places. Today with Photoshopping and and all that, you know, people change how they look, you know, how they, and, you know, it's like, this is nothing, you know? And if that's the worst that we can say about Walt Disney, I don't think that's anything at all. But but, but you were telling me that, that you had a, a professor who was telling you that uh, Walt was uh, anti-Semitic. Is that, is that true? Uh, he, he did say that. Don't get me wrong, though. He's a great guy. He really knows his stuff in his particular subject area. But... I mean, I, I knew I had to call Jim Corcus and 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 get a second opinion. Well, well you, you, you know, it, it's because since Wolf's death, they, while he was alive, and remember, he, he, he lived for 65 years. During those 65 years he lived, there was never a complaint that he was anti-Semitic. Never. Now, now let uh, me... But after his death, this this started to, to come up, and and again, we see that sort of claim repeated on uh, on TV shows like Family Guy or uh, uh, Robot Chicken. I mean, don't you get know? me wrong, Family Guy is very funny, but yes, it, not. But, 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 but again, Family Guy is not a documentary. <laughs> exactly. Family Guy, in order to be accurate, doesn't have to, you know, uh, uh, be truthful there you know now anti-semitism for those who are not familiar with that that just means that someone has a strong prejudice or a hatred uh for people of uh, jewish heritage and it results in discrimination it is a form of racism that's that's been going on for centuries it it, it even exists today in, in in the united states it exists uh, in in Europe, it, it's like, oh yes, uh, the Jewish people are, are controlling the media. The Jewish people have too much influence on on finances, it, it, things like this. And so there, there's that feeling of uh, resentment just because of of their religion. Now, Walt was a, a strongly religious Protestant Christian. All right, but he had a great respect for all religions, all religions, you know, uh, and um, I, I was lucky enough uh, to be able to develop a um, friendship with uh, Diane Disney Miller, who was his oldest daughter, and she created the uh, uh, Disney Family Museum, Walt Disney Family Museum in, in San Francisco, and I, I got to talk with her, and, and she didn't apologize for her father, and I don't apologize for her father. We both felt, you know, you need to get the facts out there. And um, she pointed out to me that one of Walt's um, uh, uh, biggest 
fans and biggest friends uh, was uh, Rabbi Edgar uh, Magnet. Uh, and he was he was known as the rabbi to the stars because he was the rabbi for the uh, Wilshire Boulevard uh, Temple, which is where you know all the the movie stars, the celebrities, all of that. And he always refer. In fact, he wrote a book where he refers to Walt Disney as you know my friend Walt Disney. There. Now Walt got uh, the Benet Brith Man of the Year Award for the Beverly Hills chapter in uh, 1955. Now, now this organization has been around since 1913 and they don't just give these awards away, you know, like a Golden Globe or something like that. They go through and do, you know, massive amounts of uh, research and uh, uh, investigation, you know, uh, because, you know, they don't want that, um, you know, that to, to come back and, uh, you know, uh, 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 bite them on, on the rear end uh, type thing. So they do an extensive investigation. If anybody has even any hints of anything that is anti-Semitic. And so when they awarded it to him in, in 1955, the plaque read, uh, for exemplifying the best tenets of American citizenship and intergroup understanding, and interpreting into action the ideals of the uh, Benai Brith, which, which basically meant that Walt didn't just talk the talk, he walked the walk. He, his actions, what he did, showed this is what he believed. And in fact, uh, three years later, in, in 1958, uh, Kansas City, Missouri, uh, gave him a, uh, the Benai uh, Brith organization gave him a Distinguished Service uh, citation because of uh, you know uh, his work uh, in that. And here's something that I bet most people listening don't know. Uh, and uh, Diane shared it with me. Uh, Diane had a younger sister, Sharon, Sharon Disney, and she pointed out that Sharon dated a Jewish boy for quite a while. Really? There were no objections from Walt or his wife Lillian. And, and in fact, she she said, you know, uh, Walt was, uh, uh, you know, so clueless about these things that he once told Sharon, you know, I think it's wonderful how these Jewish families have accepted you. And, and so if Sharon had gone further in that relationship and had decided to marry a, a Jewish boy, that was fine with with the Disney's. That was fine with with Walt and and Sharon was attending bar mitzvahs and and all of these events and and all of that. And it, it didn't phase Walt one bit. Uh, also, Walt's uh, uh, his strongest friends were often Jewish. Uh, Jules and uh, Doris Stein. Jules Stein uh, is the uh, a person who uh, founded uh, uh, MCA that later purchased Universal Pictures in what was it, 1962 and uh, had an eye institute and and Walt actually paid Mary Blair to do this mural uh, for the eye institute so uh, Stein didn't have to pay anything for it it came out of Walt's own pocket and he had Mary Blair uh, uh, do that and and, and again, you know, this this is, goes all the way back. You know, at the opening of Disneyland uh, in July '55, Rabbi.
Rabbi Magnin was there. There were there were representatives from the Catholic, Jewish, and Protestant faith, and and from uh, uh, the newspapers. And, and didn't they uh, each like uh, bless the park? Excuse me. Didn't they each like bless the park? Yeah, and uh, you know it. it, it it's just amazing that people say, "Oh well," but in the Disney cartoons, they had you know uh, Jewish caricatures. Well. You know, that was pretty standard in every animated cartoon at the time. They had stereotypes of all race, you know, whether it was Native Americans or uh, the Irish or Italians or whatever, you know. Or regular old white people. You've got to remember that animated cartoons are an exaggerated reality. And, And a cartoon is exactly that. It's a cartoon. And so sometimes because you've only got a limited amount of time, you, you go with a stereotype, you know, uh, uh, to stand out. But but in terms of the Jewish images, uh, uh, they only appeared in, in Disney animated cartoons from about 1929 to 1932. And mostly those were characters that were uh, dancing the uh, Russian Cossack dance, you know, the, the one where you're squatting and you're kicking your... Yeah, your yeah, yeah. Out. Now, and again, that, that much, much worse appeared in other cartoons. You're talking about the Max Flesher cartoons being produced in New York. Max Flesher uh, was Jewish, and uh, he had Betty Boop's father be Jewish, but it was this exaggerated Jewish, you know, whatever. None of that appeared in Disney cartoons. Now, the closest you get is in uh, the original version of Three Little Pigs. Um, the Big Bad Wolf is trying to get you know, uh, into the house where the three little pigs are, and he disguises himself as a Jewish peddler selling brushes. Now, the reason he does that is because at that time, 1933, that was very, very common that you would have Jewish peddlers coming door to door. That was not out of the ordinary, and that was not racist. That that was just something that was happening in life. And also the fact that... Um, the, he figures that the pigs will open the door because if he's a Jewish peddler, the pigs will feel that he is safe because a Jewish peddler would never eat pork. And right? I mean, when you look, Jim, and you go, you watch a cartoon and they want to show you how stereotypically white a character is. It's going to be a stereotype, right? They want to show a German or a British person. It's going to be a stereotype because you don't have the time to convey everything you want to convey about that character and just stamping them with some cultural signifiers, right? Easily conveys the type of character. This is part of what is going on on the stage. This is part of what's going on in movies. You know, uh, and and uh, even though the Disney Studio had some examples of it, you compare those to everything else at that same time, and the Disney is so watered down. Now, and and here's something that I bet people didn't realize either: in 1948, when they were going to re-release the Three Little Pigs to theaters, Walt paid out of his own pocket to have the animation of the um, wolf as a Jewish peddler reanimated as a fuller brush man 
because Fuller Brush really so come door to door. And and again, yeah, there's no newspaper article about it. Walt didn't, you know, publicize this, whatever. But in 1948, Walt keeps evolving as a human being. But in 1948, he goes, you know, even though that was funny, even though that really wasn't offensive, even though we didn't hear from anybody who felt it was offensive, I think it's offensive now. And so uh, I talked with... um, Jack Hanna. Jack Hanna directed a lot of the Donald Duck cartoons. And uh, he said that, yeah, his unit was pulled in and they had to reanimate that segment of the cartoon before it was re-released. And he said, yeah, it, it didn't come out of the uh, uh, studio. It, it came out of Walt's own pocket uh, uh, for him uh, uh, to do that. I mean, and, um, if- you know, I, I, Kay Kamen. Kay Kamen was the head of Disney merchandising and is iconic. And, and I'm sure that people who are listening to the, this podcast are now, you know, going to Google, you know, and who is Kay Kamen? And, and, what, and, and you'll find out what an amazing man he was. Kay Kamen was in charge of Disney merchandising. He was Jewish. And, and he once joked that the Disney company, quote, had more Jews in it than the book of Leviticus, unquote. You know, if if Walt hated Jewish people, if Ju- Walt was anti-Semitic, there were tons. Jim, Jim, but I have I ha- I have the criticism that I got when I pointed that out. Plenty of people worked with Jews. It doesn't mean they liked the people. Okay, listen. Walt put these in uh, people. In, in positions of, uh, of of authority. You know, I bet a lot of people don't realize the Sherman brothers were Jewish. And I was at an event many, many years ago where I was sitting next to uh, Richard Sherman and uh, it was a panel discussion on, on stuff and, and somebody was saying, oh yes, Walt hated the Jews and all that. And Richard leaned over to me and, and said, you know, nobody was more Jewish than my brother and I. And Walt didn't hate us. And then Richard shared for the panel the the story of how he and his brother one time overheard Walt arguing with uh, uh, one of his lawyers. And the lawyers were were saying, oh, those Jew boys you have who write songs. And Walt blew up at him and fired the lawyer on the spot without realizing that Richard and Robert were overhearing this. People don't really realize that Imagineering legend Marty Scalar was Jewish. You know, Mark Davis was Jewish. And uh, now if I, you are an academic or someone maybe who's not informed, Marty Sklar and Mark Davis are two of the geniuses behind rides like the Haunted Mansion, Pirates of the Caribbean, real staples of the Disney park. Marty Sklar opened every single Disney theme park. Marty Sklar uh, wrote um, uh, speeches for Walt. He wrote the, the introductions for Walt for the uh, yearly uh, stockholders report. He, you know, he he also did that for for Roy. Mark Davis is the guy who created uh, uh, Tinkerbell. You know, among other things, and also you know did the uh, um, Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, uh, among other things. And and so these are 
people that are doing important things at the studio. And, and again, that's only the tip of the iceberg. You, you, you had people like Frizz Freeling. Frizz Freeling was the model for Yosemite Sam. He, he was an animator there. Art Babbitt, you know, legendary uh, uh, animator. You, you have live action film directors like uh, Richard Fleischer, uh, who directed 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, David Swift, who did uh, uh, Pollyanna and, and, and several others. Uh, you know, Mel Shaw, who was a, a story man. You had, um, and, and, and talking about the story man, one, one of the most iconic story men, and, and one of my uh, absolute faves was um, uh, Joe Grant. Joe Grant and Dick Humor, Dick Humor, another uh, Jewish story man there, uh, wrote Dumbo. Dumbo's coming out uh, in March here. They wrote the original Dumbo. They wrote The Fuhrer's Face. And, and Grant lived long enough that he actually contributed to uh, Disney animated features like uh, Pocahontas, you know, where he came up with the animal characters for that. And um, I, I got to interview uh, Joe, and he said, as far as I was concerned, you know, there was no evidence from Walt of anti-Semitism. You know, I think that whole idea should just be put to rest and, and buried. Uh, some of the most influential people at the studio were Jewish. You know, he said, you know, I was Jewish, and I was, you know, uh, very open about it. And in, in those days, some people didn't. They weren't open, and some people, you know, changed their names because, you know, they didn't want to, to have to deal with all of that. And he said, you know, I never once had a problem with Walt about being Jewish. And here's something else, okay? Okay, Walt is a guy who is anti-Semitic. He donated, without any publicity, uh to a number of Jewish charities like the uh, Yeshiva College, uh, the Jewish Home for the Aging, the Hebrew Orphan Asylum in, in uh, New York. And, and in fact, uh, 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 for that orphan asylum in uh, December 1935 for the, uh, uh, for the holidays, uh, in addition to his donations, uh, he donated Mickey Mouse watches for every child at the orphanage. And we never hear anything about this because... Because that never... doesn't fit the narrative, Jim. That, that doesn't fit the narrative we have going here in the media and in academia. It, it, it blows it apart. You know, and, but, but again, people say, well, this must this must come from somewhere, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. The closest that I found was, first off, uh, many of the motion picture studios while Walt were alive were, were run by um, a, a, a Jewish studio managers, you know, Goldwyn, Harry right. Cohen, all right. of that. And so if Walt complained and said, boy, you know, I, 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 I I don't like that Columbia, you know, issued this film at this time because it, it's undercutting our box office out there. People are going, oh, well, he, Columbia is run by Harry Cohen, so he must hate Harry Cohen, and Harry Cohen is Jewish, so he must hate, hate Jewish people. And, and the only other thing I could find was uh, for about two or three years, Walt was a member of the Motion Picture Alliance for Preservation of a 
American Ideals. Uh, that was formed in 1941. It was an organization of very conservative uh, people, and Walt, after the uh, um, uh, uh, the strike against his uh, studio, you know, it became much, much more conservative. But the point of that organization was uh, to prevent communistic influence in Hollywood films. Walt didn't like communists at all, you know, and so he was a, a member of that. And so people who didn't like this organization or didn't like conservatives tried to smear it as an anti-Semitic uh, organization, you know? Well, they don't hate, they hate communists, so they must hate Russians, and a lot of Russians are Jewish, so, you know. But, but there were Jewish members who were, uh, of this organization. You, you had uh, Maury Riskin, who was a Jewish screenplay writer, won an Oscar for, or well, he was nominated for an Oscar for My Man Godfrey and uh, uh, Walter Wagner, who was a movie producer. He was a member and all that. And again, Walt only was a member there for about two or three years. And when, you know, those uh, claims started to come out of, well, you know, they're not just against uh, uh, communists, you know, they, they must be also against, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jewish people be, because of that. And Walt just bails from that, you know? He's not, going, he's not going to be connected with any group where there's any even implication of this. You know, one of the, the uh, top producers at the studio, Harry Title, um, uh, and uh, uh, he, he was Jewish too. And, but uh, Harry, for a long while, was in charge of casting and personnel decisions, you know, who was going to be hired, who was going to be let go, whatever. And uh, uh, Harry actually wrote, wrote a, a book about his experiences at the Disney Studios, and he said, you know, I never heard Walt make an anti-Semitic remark. Uh, I never saw Walt being anti-Semitic when we were talking about casting and personnel decisions, you know, whether a person was Jewish or not, you know, never even entered into the conversation, you know, at all. And, and he says, I've been amazed, you know, since Walt's death, all these people who come out and say, well, this is what Walt really was, and they never worked with him, and they never knew him. You know, and and so whatever you whatever you say seems to just bounce off of them. Uh, it, it, no matter how many facts you can come up with, they go, oh no, 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 you're wrong, you're wrong. And it's like, look at all of these examples. You know, when you talk about the original Mickey Mouse Club, Doreen Tracy was, was Jewish. Sid Miller, who who did uh, the directing, you know, uh, was Jewish. You know, Walt would hire uh, 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 people like Ed and Ed Wynn and, and Keenan Wynn, you know, who were Jewish, you know. To, and, and so if this guy hated Jews, now the other problem that comes up, because I, you can tell from, from all of these facts that I'm giving you here, um, the other problem that comes up is Walt wasn't anti-Semitic, but some of the people who worked for him were, and they would make life, you know, uh, difficult miserable. for Jewish workers. Let's right. talk briefly and, and about Walt, this, and then can we move? And, and Walt was oblivious to it. He, 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 
unless somebody brought it to his attention, he, he was unaware of that because he's doing 50 million things. He, he's, he's like a race car driver, zipping, zipping through these things. And, and I found that also with, you know, people who criticize and say, well, you know, Walt was racist and he hated black people. And one of my good friends is, is Floyd Norman, who is a animator who was personally hired by Walt in 1956. So we're talking, you know, before the civil rights movement, whatever. And, and, uh, and, and Floyd says, you know, I never saw any, you know, racism from, from Walt. However, there were people in other departments who were racist and they didn't want to work with me because I was black. And so, um, he says, but I never, I never saw that from uh, from Walt. And he and he said, uh, you know, I wasn't the only black animator that Walt hired. Frank Braxton uh, worked there for a while and then left uh, uh, to work at uh, Warner Brothers because he thought, you know, he could uh, get some more money. And uh, Floyd said, you know, one of the people that I talked with at the studio was. Uh, uh, Claude Wilson and, and people go, Claude Wilson, I've never heard of that name. Claude Wilson was the janitor at the studio and uh, he also uh, earned extra money by being a um, bartender at Walt's parties uh, out at uh, Walt's home and uh, sometimes uh, chauffeuring Walt, you know, because Walt had, you know, back problems and all that, and Walt liked to drive himself, but sometimes he needed somebody. And he said, I talked to Claude Wilson, and, you know, when you're a janitor, you're pretty much invisible. People do not pay attention to you whatsoever, you know, when you go into a room, you know, to empty the, the trash cans and, and all of that, you know, you, you hear people talking the way they, they actually are. And he said he had uh, heard people at the studio, Some there were some people at the studio who, who were racist, but not Walt. Well, Walt was pretty much colorblind, you know. Walt's basic philosophy was, if you can do the job, I don't care, you know, if you're Chinese or you're Japanese or you're a woman or you're black or, or whatever, you know, or if you got three heads and you're pink and polka dotted. And you know, Jim. If you can do the job, that's fine. You know, Jim, another kind of adjacent myth you hear is that Walt was a fascist. He was a Nazi sympathizer. Oh, okay. He went to a Nazi rally once and, oh boy, he's a Nazi. We have no, to no, burn no. all his cartoons. Uh, listen, there was, there was no one more American than, than uh, Walt Disney. You know, one, one of his favorite... Uh, one of the favorite quotes of Walt was, you know, uh, uh, if you could uh, see close into my eyes, you'd see the American flag is waving in both of them, and up my spine is growing this red, white, and blue stripe. You know, um, Walt, now, part of the problem here is Walt separated Nazi political party from the German people. He felt the German people were basically good and that the Nazi party... Were being held captive by a madman, essentially. Of false information. And so our war is not against the Germans. 
it's against the Nazis. It's against this political. Now, and again, let's 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 deal with facts here. You know, during World War Two, a Walt and his studio are making confidential military training films. Okay, these are so sensitive that certain areas of the studio are locked off. And so when the draft board came to see what Walt was doing, they were really surprised that there were, <laughs> because Walt was saying, please don't draft some of these men. I need them for the work that I'm doing here. They were not allowed, even with the highest security clearance, into certain areas because these training films were so confidential. And in fact, uh, one of the reasons a lot of material doesn't exist is that after the films were finished, the military gathered up everything, you know, concept sketches and cells and uh, scripts and everything like that and, and took them out and, and destroyed them, you know, be, so Disney didn't have any copies whatsoever. If Wolf had been a fascist, if Wolf had any sympathies towards Nazism, they wouldn't have allowed him to do it. <laughs> but, but uh, Jim... You know, the... and, and, and he made, on his own, Besides the training films, he, he, he was making films like uh, Education for Death, which was based on this nonfiction book about how Nazis indoctrinated, you know, young people. He, he, he was making The Fuhrer's Face about, you know, making fun of people living, you know, under Adolf Hitler. And, and so you give Hitler, you know, the raspberry. But Jim, they'll say, they'll say, that was during the war. Before the war, everyone loved Hitler. He won no, the no, Time I, 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 Person of the Year. Walt was was pretty. Um, what do I want to say? Apolitical. Uh, he he really uh, until after the Disney strike, he really wasn't involved with. You know, and he never. Um, what do I, I, I want to say? Gave his endorsement to any uh, political party or any political candidate. And to show you how naive he is, um, in a uh, interview in October 1933, and by this time Hitler is is, is saying, you know, uh, how can people watch Mickey Mouse? That's a rat. It, that's filthy. It's disease ridden. You know, um, and and. One of the reasons Hitler was upset was that instead of wearing uh, swastikas, young people were wearing Mickey Mouse pins and all that. So you got to get rid of Mickey Mouse. So Walt's response in in this uh, magazine interview in October '33 is, "Oh, Mister A. Hitler, the the Nazi old thing says Mickey's silly." Well, imagine that. Well, Mickey is going to save. Mr. A. Hitler from drowning or something someday. Just wait and see if he does it. Then won't Mr. A. Hitler be ashamed? And and you read that and you go, how naive can you be? <laughs> how naive can you be that you know all this is is a, a, a an old grumpy old man who who, who is saying <laughs> Mickey is, is, is silly, you know? And and there's an urban myth that Walt met with. Uh, uh, Benito Mussolini in Italy in 1935. You 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 can find that in books. You can find that all. Over. He never did. Never did. You know. And Didi or Guest just uh, wrote a wonderful book about Walt's visit to Europe in 1935. 
and and he debunks that. You know, that, that Walt was, was uh, never there, and uh, you know what Walt worried about. You know, and and if you think, well, Walt really liked the Nazis. No, he didn't, because once the war started, uh, Walt's film distributor owed him uh, 135,000 uh, Reichmarks, and and Germany banned Disney films that they could not be seen in Europe, and and so Walt couldn't get money for Pinocchio, couldn't get money for for Fantasia, and so uh, if he was a fascist. Uh, he was more of a capitalist than a fascist. He, he was more upset that, oh my gosh, because of Germany, because of the Nazis, you know, I'm losing uh, all of this, uh, um, you know, uh, money. And, and one of the things you brought up was, oh, well, uh, Walt attended uh, 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 this uh, Bunt meeting, this German-American Bunt meeting, which was really an association of German immigrants that supported Hitler and was very common in the United States. And the person who accused him of attending the meeting uh, was Art Babbitt, who had been fired. And uh, We just talked about Art him. Babbitt, Art Babbitt was Jewish, and they said, well, how do you know Walt Disney went to this meeting? He said, well, I was at that meeting. And they said, well, you're Jewish. What are you doing at that meeting? Well, I was just curious about what they were saying. They said... Maybe Walt was curious if you saw him, but you go back through Walt's um, office appointment book, um, which is just amazing because it lists every single thing every single day. And, and, and it's one of the things that uh, uh, Disney archivist uh, Dave Smith used to uh, uh, use, you know, to confirm things of where was Walt, you know, right. who did Walt meet with, you know, uh, you know. Uh, and uh, Walt's schedule was so busy, there's no indication he ever went to any of those those meetings. But again, what happens is all it takes is one person saying, oh, well, I saw him there, or I heard somebody say he was there, you know, whatever. And they, it, it's like that uh, kid's game of telephone, you know, where you have a line <laughs> of people and, and one person whispers into one ear and then they whisper. And by the time you get to the end of the line there, it's nothing like, you know, the original message that went across. But, but again, you know, people are going to believe what they believe. And so I thank you so much for, for giving me, you know, an opportunity to to share some facts. So not just stand up there and say, no, 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 Walt, Walt was a, a, a nice guy and he liked kids and and uh, all of that. And so, no, he would never do do bad, uh, bad things. Walt was a, a conservative Midwest guy, you know, and, and uh, he, he had a strong sense of moral values, you know, his uh, yeah. older brother Roy used to say, "If you know what your values are, it's always easy to make a decision. It's always easy to make a choice." And Jim, and, let's and talk Roy, about Roy this. Was very clear about what his values were, and 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 what was important, and, and you know what you can and cannot do. And so, no, he, he, he was not a Nazi. And, you know, it, uh, during the war, yes, he did lots of wonderful things. He, he donated over uh, uh, 1,200 insignia 
to uh, to the military, and that cost the Disney Studio, and and this is in 1940 dollars. That that cost the, the Disney Studio anywhere between 60 to 75 dollars for each insignia, wow. and Walt did it gratis for the military, uh, uh, among so many other things. And then afterwards, you know, he was always a strong supporter of. Uh, you know, uh, uh, the American uh, servicemen, uh, Disneyland starting in, in, in 55. Jim, Jim. Had this massive Jim, discount Jim. That, that, that if you were, you know, uh, in, in, the, in any branches of, of the U.S. military, you got into Disneyland for free. Sometimes you even got your, your family in for free, you know? And, 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 and again, None of this gets publicized. None of this is out there. But if you go back and you, you take a look at, at the facts, you take a look at the documents that are out there, and you go, holy cow, you know, what Walt could have just garnered all of this great publicity for all of this stuff he was doing. Jim. And he didn't do any of that because it was just the right thing to do. Jim, I was laughing a couple seconds ago because I've been waiting to take an ad break here, but I didn't want to interrupt you. So let's take a quick ad break, and then we'll be right back. Okay, this is terrific. Ads are good. We are back again with Jim Corcus, and we have just a couple more Walt myths we're going to debunk, and then we're going to be right on out of here, and you can go back to enjoying your day or whatever you were doing before we entered your life with this podcast. So, Jim, let's talk a little bit about this rumor, this myth that you hear from people on the right side of the political aisle that Walt was a socialist and, you know, a hardcore um, liberal, somebody who's, you know, big on the left. What do you have to say about that, Jim? Actually, actually, if Walt was was, was anything, uh, he was a conservative Republican. You know, he he, he backed Ronald Reagan. He backed uh, 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 George Murphy. He, uh, he he was friends with uh, uh, Richard Nixon. You know, uh, but but Walt never really associated himself with any particular. Uh, political party, you know, and, and the only socialist thing in there is that Walt uh, was an advocate for social security. Uh, because he, he, and again, it goes to his core values that people need to be taken care of. People, and, and people, as they get older, you know, and, and can no longer help uh, themselves. Yeah, uh, work and, 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 you know, they, they need to be compensated for. For the work that they have done, you know, that, that, that got us to the point where we are. But, um, uh, no, Walt, if Walt had to be uh, described as a, a political person, uh, he would, he would uh, probably today be considered a conservative Republican. But, but as I said, you can't put Walt into a box because he's a conservative pub- Republican. But he's a huge advocate for conservation. <laughs> he's an advocate for Social Security. He's an advocate for a, a lot of these things that conservative Republicans today uh, probably would not be on on board for. You know, what Walt was his his own man, and 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 the reason he supported people like Reagan and 
and, and Nixon is because he thought they were good people and, and they were going to be doing good things. Uh, you know, he didn't care for Lyndon Johnson at all. At didn't he accept, all. He, like, he, the he, Presidential he, Medal of Freedom and went to the yeah, White House and, and, wearing his opponent's button? And, and this shows you how mischievous Walt is. He goes up to get, you know, the Medal of Freedom, which is the highest civilian honor you can get. And underneath his lapel, he has a vote for gold button that he flashes to the president. So nobody sees it except Johnson, and Johnson doesn't even acknowledge it. But, but, but again, Walt was doing that because Walt was just... Sometimes he could be a naughty little boy. And you know? Know, I went back and watched newsreel footage of that clip. Mm-hmm. And they mention Walt Disney, but they don't show him. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's like, oh, that would be a perfect moment if only he didn't flash Barry yeah, Goldwater. And, 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 and again, you know, he was told, no, you can't wear that button, even though it was under the lapel. So it wasn't on top of the lapel, so it's visible. You know, he, he's going to uh, twist it over. And uh, they said, no. And, and, and again, it was a, a little uh, button. It, it was this uh, drop of water that was gold, which was uh, 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 the pin for, you know, vote for Goldwater. And Will says, well, if I can't wear that one, can I wear this one? And he pulls out a vote for Goldwater button that, that is like five times the size, and it has Goldwater's name on it and, and all that. And said, no, 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 you, you, you can do that. Uh, <laughs> well, if I can't wear this one, surely I can wear this one. Yeah. So, so no, Walt, Walt was not a... Um, uh, socialist, but he believed that people needed to be taken care of. He believed that the um, uh, uh, environment uh, needed uh, to be taken care of. And, you know, interestingly enough, and, and again, this is from um, Diane on his, on his deathbed. She said uh, uh, he surprised her by saying, you know, I always considered myself a liberal. And, and she thought, but you support an awful lot of, you know, uh, uh, conservative uh, uh, causes and uh, all of that. But, but as I, as, and as yeah, I that, said, that's it interesting. Really apolitical until after the strike where he felt, you know, he was betrayed and he felt he was betrayed by the government because the government um, uh, took the side of uh, the strikers, you know rather than uh, uh, the side of Walt. And so Walt felt betrayed, so it was like, you know, well, this is during the uh, FDR administration, so I'm never going to vote for FDR ever again. And, uh, you know, but but again, from a um, business standpoint, uh, he he didn't want to be associated with either political party because then that, that... other party wouldn't come see the Disney film. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, I think it's funny because, you know, the phrase liberal on a global scale, even more so domestically, when Walt was growing up, was used to describe people who favored more individual liberties and and Mm -hmm. free markets, right? And now that transitioned during Walt's lifetime. Well, again, somebody who was a Republican during 
during the Eisenhower era might not be identified as a Republican today. Right. You know? And, you know, people try and claim that, like, Epcot was some sort of a, a socialist commune plan, and, and you just hear wacky things. The, the, the point for Epcot was Walt was seeing that there's problems in, in cities. There's problems of people getting around, and, and because there are, are, are cities that are, are, are falling uh, into disrepair, this is causing crime and all of this, so let's plan a city that is people-friendly and that these and, and use the technology that American uh, companies are coming up with so that these can be introduced to to other cities, and and so that that was that was the whole point of Epcot is is let's create a living laboratory and experiment with different things so we can transfer these to other cities so that so that the cities will be better. You know, one of Walt's uh, great sorrows was he introduced the monorail and. None of the cities want to use a monorail. <laughs> you know, and, and so that's why Epcot was going to have a monorail. Is it? Look, I'm going to show you. You will like my monorail. City. I, I'm, I'm going to use a people mover because I want to show you this works in a city, and this will be less expensive, and this will be more environmentally friendly. And, I mean, if and, anything, and all of that. So you know, it, it wasn't like. Uh, Jim. He actually built his own little uh, village there to uh, uh, harvest rubber, you know, so they'd be rubber for tires and all that. And so... Wait, 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 Jim, 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 you you cut out. Where'd he build the rubber factory? This is in South America. Walt Disney built a rubber factory in South America? Oh, you mean Henry Ford? Okay. Okay, no, I was thinking Walt Disney built a rubber factory in South America. No, no, like, how have I not heard of this? And, and, and so Henry Ford is, is trying to create this utopia and control the people who live there and, and all of this, so the whole thing just falls apart. But, you know, Walt Disney was not trying to create a Waltopia. <laughs> he, he was trying to create a living laboratory and, uh, you know, let's share this. And, and again, that happens, you know, when you get older, you wonder, oh my gosh, you know, can I make life better for right. people? Can I, make, can I make the world better somehow, you know? And, you know... And so what he was doing at, at Epcot there was, was trying to create that um, a model... You know, and every five years, American technology would come in and rip out bathrooms and living rooms and things like that and put in the new technology, you know, just around the corner, you know, so that people would come and examine that. And and it would be a showcase of American free markets. Let's try this in Detroit. It would be a showcase of American free markets and American capitalism. It, Mm -hmm. it, It would be awesome. Now... Let's talk about one other serious myth, and then we have kind of a fun one. Okay. Walt Disney hated women. Uh, he was a horrible misogynist. Not at all. He, 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 he loved women. You know, he, he loved his mother, Flora. Uh, 
you know, he, he loved uh, uh, Lillian. He was faithful to her for, you know, his entire life. He got married in, what, 25, 1925, you know, and, and they were happily, well, I, I would say happily married, although they had their arguments because both of them had tempers and both of them were stubborn. Uh, he loved his daughters, doted on his daughters, you know, and uh, oftentimes uh, his, his wife would have uh, her sisters. She came from a family of 10. Oh, wow. We have her sisters, you know, and 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 their daughters, you know, living with the the, the Disney family. And he had a female housekeeper. Walt used to joke, you know, even my dog is female, you know. And uh, <laughs> at, at the at, at the studio, his confidant was uh, Hazel George, the studio nurse. He would go in, you know, and. Uh, she would help him at, at the end of the evening because it, it, his back would start to tighten up because of the old polo injury. And, uh, you know, he would share, he, she was his confidant, and, and, and he gave jobs to women like Mary Blair. I, I mean, he put David. women in high-ranking positions that really didn't happen for another, you know, 30, 40 years in no, the rest no, of it, corporate it, it, America. Fact, we, we were talking about the, the first... Uh, female animator to get a on-screen credit and and to get an on-screen credit you have to do a huge amount of um uh, animation for the film and also uh, the fact there's politics because there's only so much space to put people's names uh, the first female animator appeared in the credits for Bambi you know and, and there were uh, women who worked on, on in, in the story department which was about the highest position you could get at, at Disney in, in fact uh, uh, Floyd Norman was, was telling me you can tell that Walt didn't hate black people because he was the one who moved me up from animation uh, to story, you know, for the Jungle Book. And story was about the highest because the story department was up there on the third level. Jim, how do you not see it? Jim, how do you not see it? So he had uh, female uh, women working in in concept art, in, you know, uh, every, uh, the head of the... um, Disney Library, uh, 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 Hennessy there, uh, she, w- she was a woman. Hazel George, we talked about Hazel George. Yes. Uh, he, he said, look, you know, you've got this uh, degree in English, you, you love music, and, and you're working as a nurse. He said, we really need to work your other talents. And so he ended up giving her jobs, writing songs for Disney. And again, because people did not care for women. She had to use it under the pseudonym of Gil George, but she wrote 90 songs <laughs> for Disney films, Disney TV shows, and, and she said, I never would have done that unless Walt came up and said, look, you, you've got, you know, more abilities here. Let's move you into the... And, and Walt treated women like he treated his wife and he treated his two daughters, you know, with, with, with respect, with support, you know, and um, that, that was just it. But, but, you know, again, it was a difficult time uh, for women. You know, if, you, if you're taking a look at the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, basically most businesses are going... The man is 
so he's the one who should get the preference, you know, in the job. If a woman is coming in for a job, uh, she's only going to do it uh, long enough until, you know, she finds a husband and gets married and leaves, so all of our training is wasted, or, um, you know, uh, uh, she's uh, doing it as, as a second job, a second income, so she doesn't need to make as much as a man makes to support a family because she must already have a man who's supporting right. the family. And, and she, she's just, and that was the attitude. And yet Walt continued to give uh, uh, women all of these other uh, opportunities that didn't exist at any other animation studio. And and so they said, oh, well, you know, Walt, Walt put women in ink and paint. He um, had that he letter, you know. Paint because he also felt they were the only ones that had a delicate enough hand to do that and, and, and enough patience to do that. But when he tried men in that, it was all just slopped over or they would rush through things because they would get bored and 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 all that i talked with uh, uh the head of the ink and paint department in the 60s and she said we didn't feel that this was a, a you know a position that was uh, underneath everybody else and you know didn't get respect and all that she said quite the opposite we we got a lot of respect and especially from uh from walt you know it, it, during christmas walt would dress up as Santa Claus and, and burst into the ink and paint department and he, he had this uh, uh, cart filled with uh, uh, things, uh, makeup and nylons, whatever, and so he, he would go through there and they could all just pick whatever they wanted from out, out of there as just an additional Christmas present from Santa Walt, you know? <laughs> so, you know, we've talked about... And, 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 and so... You know, again, a lot of the things that we hear are, are from people who never worked there, never knew him, and um, never talked with people who, who did. You know, right. one of the things that uh, I get out my grumpy old band cane and wave in the air is that uh, uh, American Masters uh, PBS documentary where, you know, they interviewed Floyd Norman and they interviewed, you know, Bob Gurr and, and Ron Miller and some of these others. But they cut down their interviews to like, you know, a, a, a couple of seconds. And then they give all this time to all of these uh, people who never knew Walt, never worked with Walt, but they're pontificating and they're making up. Well, Walt probably had a conversation where he said, da 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 And you're like, you have the people. The other people, they, they could have told you. You know, but the person who made the uh, documentary or didn't go, I'm going to do research and then make a documentary. It's like, it was, I have a narrative. coming in with preconceived ideas, and so they're looking for the things that are going to reinforce that. You know, so Floyd Norman said, I, I talked for about a half hour about Song of the South. They didn't use any of that, and, and yet in, in the documentary they go, oh yes, that's racist and all of that. You're and referring like, to the American Masters documentary, right? Restoration, which is after, you know, the Civil War, and you know that for a fact because, uh, you know, uh, Uncle Remus can't say, well, I'm just packing up and getting out of here because he would be property. The reason the father goes away is not because he's he and the wife are having problems he's going 
to raise money to pay the, the uh, sharecroppers who are working on the plantation to keep it going. He doesn't have money to do that, so he has to go and 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 get. The, and that was cut out of the script, but uh, that that's why he's uh, away, you know. And um, you have the prestigious Hall Johnson uh, choir who is singing, and and they're also singing in Dumbo as, as the uh, uh, crows. And if you do any research, you see that the Hall Johnson Choir was this prestigious New York choir. And Hall Johnson himself was was very civil rights active and, and all that. So he would not do a project that he felt was demeaning to the black community. Right. You know? And, and, and so he, he, he's doing this, and, and he's doing this because um, he did an interview, he says, well, we want to preserve, you know, the music and, 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 and the feeling of, of, you know, these early black um, uh, uh, singers and, and things like, get those kids off my lawn, you know, yeah, stop that music, it's too loud, I can't understand the lyrics. Let me get my grumpy old man cane, wave it in the air here. But, but, but again, you know, it, it, it comes down to that thing that people go, well, I heard this somewhere, or I read this somewhere, so it must be true, you know? And the thing is, a lot of these things aren't. You know, we hear this whole thing about, well, Walt was frozen. Walt was not frozen. You took the words out of my mouth, Jim. Like to think that Walt was frozen, but he wasn't, you know? When he went into the hospital, uh, people were told, well, he's going in there for, uh, for a uh, old polo injury to, to his back, which, which seemed reasonable. It, it was for cancer. He had lung cancer. He had one lung removed. But what happened was the cancer had metastasized. And Walt did not want anyone to come over to St. Joseph's Hospital and see him while he was going through chemotherapy, where he had lost so much weight, he, he was gone, he was on, on medication, so some, sometimes he was a little confused and forgetful. So people didn't see him sick. And then the funeral was only for uh, the immediate family. So it, so it was uh, his wife Lillian, uh, his, his two daughters and their husbands, uh, his, his brother Roy, and uh, his wife and um, uh, Roy E. Disney, his nephew, and, and, and his wife. So Ruth Disney, his sister, never came down. Uh, Raymond, who's an older brother, never showed up and all that. It was just this nice private funeral at Forest Lawn. And we know he wasn't um, uh, frozen. You know, we would like him to be frozen. You know, nobody saw him sick, so it, it's hard to imagine he's dead, that he's gone. But when he passed away, they had to phone Diane and Lillian to come to the hospital. And so Walt laid in his hospital bed, you know, for two or three hours there, you know, for the family to come and, and be able to say their goodbyes. If you're going to freeze somebody, you do it immediately. You do it instantly, or, or, or you do it even before they they're dead. You know, right? Now, also the fact the first person officially cryogenically frozen didn't take place until weeks and weeks and weeks after Walt passed away, and I tracked down 
the guy who was in charge of the cryonic society. It was the only one in existence and the only one in, and it was in California. And I talked to him and I said, look, I, I, I got the uh, uh, death certificate because again, it's public record. Any of you can go track that down. And on there they have the, the mortician at Forest Lawn and his official seal, you know, that yes, Walt, Walt was cremated. And uh, I talked I talked to the guy from the cryonics. He said, boy, we would have loved to have frozen him. You know, that would have made our company. He said, but nope, that didn't happen. And um, he, he said, uh, yes, that all of the information we have is that, yeah, he was cremated and his ashes are interred there at uh, uh, Forest Lawn uh, Glendale, you know, and um, you know, but you hear all of these stories of, oh yes, well he was frozen and he was buried under Pirates of the Caribbean. And I, why Pirates of the Caribbean? Because <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean was being built at the time. And so it's like, oh, they've already dug into the ground. That's where you can put the frozen <laughs> you know, but, but I've also heard stories of, oh yes, he's buried underneath the flagpole. He's buried underneath the, the uh, uh, castle and, and, and all of that. But we don't want Walt to be dead. You know, and, and but, but that, was, that was it. He was cremated. His wife was cremated. His daughter was cremated. His son-in-law was, was, was cremated. Uh, and and it, it, you can go to uh, see the plaque up there by the Freedom Mausoleum at the uh, Forest Lawn Cemetery at Glendale. Not the Forest Lawn Cemetery at Hollywood. People often mistake that. The one Which only adds fuel to the fire, I'm sure, when you go to the cemetery and he's yeah. not there. Look, he's not here. <laughs> he's not here. He is risen. Walt is risen. You know, uh, no. you know, Jim, I had the opportunity last week to interview Ben Lancaster, the director of the new comedy film that's coming out on, I believe, March 8th. Um, the, the, fir- the Further Adventures of Walt's Frozen Head? Yes, you've heard of it? Yes, I, I, I've seen some bits of it, and, and you know who plays the Frozen Head, right? Yes! Ron Schneider, who is... The Dream Finder! No, it was an absolute treat. We did it last week. Um, I'll send you the link to the episode. And also, I'm sure Ben wouldn't mind me sending you the link to the film as well. Um, No, and and, and I I, I saw some clips while they were doing fundraising. And uh, I thought... This is all in good spirit. And, it and really is. is. It's great. It's fun. And, and you know, if, if Walt came back, if Walt was frozen and he came back, I, I think he'd be very um, surprised <laughs> at, at, at how Disney is being run and, and what is out there and, and, and for all of that to happen. But, but, but for those of you out there, no, Walt was not frozen. Walt was cremated. And in fact, that is in his will, and his will is um, uh, public record as well. We'll finish up with one of the most outrageous Walt myths okay. I've ever heard. Okay. And I've heard it on TV that Walt Disney, in his will, said that the first man who gives birth will get a million dollars or will get. 
Walt Disney World or we'll get the entire Walt Disney Company. I've heard and, of this. And the fact that nobody is, is straight on, you know, what that is should already give you a hint that something really wrong here. But no, that Walt's will is public record. You can pull it out. There is no indication in that Walt was a conservative Midwest Christian. It, even though he was interested in innovation and technology, he never would have, you know, advocated for a man to give birth. And again, Walt died almost in debt because he was reinvesting the money into the company. And the company itself is publicly held. So he couldn't give Walt Disney World to anyone. He couldn't give the company to anybody because he owned stock, but he didn't own, you know, the, the company. And, and that's and why his family is so wealthy today. Come up to me and go, yes, I heard that. And so, you know, uh, that, that's why men are trying to, to do that so that, you know, they'll be rich for the rest of their lives. Well, you know, uh, and that's why his family is so wealthy today, right? It's not because he had so much money at the time he died. It's because he had so much Disney stock that is now worth so much money. You know, that's true. That's absolutely true. And, and, you know, after Lillian died, you know, they they sold the house on Carrollwood Drive. The homey and I asked Diane about that. I said, "Didn't you want to keep that? Didn't you want to think about going back and restoring that?" She said, "We had to sell it for the estate taxes. We had to sell it in order to pay off the estate taxes." And she said, "We sold it to somebody who said, yes, we're going to keep it as it is, and, and all of this." And as soon as it went through escrow, he started tearing down the house. That's the best argument <laughs> against estate taxes I think I've ever heard. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm going to walk into the public policy building when we get done with this and go tell somebody that. One of the that. things Diane did, because Diane was suspicious, is she saved Walt's barn out in the backyard where he ran the Carrollwood uh, Pacific Miniature Railroad. She saved the barn and she donated it to the Live Steamers Association. And you, you can go visit it now. So the, bar, the barn still exists today where people can go in and you can go into the same barn where Walt went and you can look into the same mirror that Walt used to look into. And you know, people and, say that that bitch. And thanks to Diane and to uh, uh, Michael Brogy of the Carrollwood Pacific uh, uh, Society. And, I, I love the Carrollwood Pacific Society. And, and you know, Jim, you people know? say that that the bench in front of the carousel is where Disneyland was born, but I would counter and say it was that barn. Mm-hmm. It was it was the barn where he really first started experimenting with building you know physical objects rather than just making movies and that grew into Disneyland, mm-hmm. right? Which and, is and, and you know what Diane was, was so good. Diane was so good. She got the bench from um, uh, the Griffith Park Carousel and it's up at the Walt Disney Family Museum now. And you can actually sit on it. Sit on the same bench where Walt sat to watch his two young daughters on the carousel. And you know, Jim, that that's absolutely just amazing. It really shows 
how I think when you go and you're impacted by doing that and seeing the things that are in the museum, it really, I think, hits home how important the work that you do is and the work that the archivists at Disney do and the work that the curators at the Walt Disney Family Museum do in preserving such a unique part of American history well, and American all culture. This, all of this is getting uh, uh, lost because, again, the Disney company doesn't see any way to monetize it. You know, how can we make money off of this? Well, we can't, so let's just go on to something else and we'll forget that. Now, for those people who are listening, uh, I'm, I'm Jim Corkis, K-O-R-K-I-S. I do write books, and if you are interested in these Disney urban myths, I covered those and more in, in a book I wrote uh, that's available at Amazon.com and ThemeParkPress.com that's uh, Call Me Walt. And what is interesting about this book is it's not another biography of Walt Disney. There is no mention of Mickey Mouse, no mention of Disneyland, no mention of audio animatronics, no mention of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, because we often try to define Walt uh, by his accomplishments, and, and we forget, you know, that he's a human being. And so in the book, I, I have a, a, a chapter for each of... Um, Walt's uh, uh, family. I, I have a whole section uh, chapters on uh, where all places Walt lived. Uh, I have uh, uh, chapters on his smoking, on his cough, on his sense of humor, on what clothes he wore, where he went to buy clothes, his politics, his religion, uh, his hobbies. And I know some of you are going to go, oh yeah, well, polo and trains and miniatures. His favorite hobby in the last years of his life lawn bowling and on his way to go get that medal of honor he took his beverly hills lawn bowling crew to a tournament that was taking place before he then went on to washington to, to go get that uh, uh, medal we covered his flaws there's over 30 pages where i, I debunk disney um uh, myths. Uh, there's an entire section where I have memories from uh, uh, people who actually knew Walt. And, and they say, look, this is the Walt Disney that people should see. This is the Walt Disney people should know. So that book is called Call Me Walt. It's available on Amazon.com and uh, uh, tons of other books. Um, I've, I've got a book coming out the end of March called the unofficial Walt Disney World 1971 Companion. I'll be the I first person in line. I'll be the first person in line to buy it. cover the entire history of the building of Walt Disney World from 1958 when Walt sent Buzz Price out to, to, to do a survey of the East Coast and especially Florida all the way through the end of uh, uh, the year 1972. So uh, that'll be out the end of March and uh, again, I, I, I hope if you're interested you'll you'll buy those books. Thank you for taking so long to, to listen to all of this and please share this information with with other people especially when they bring up these falsehoods. You know, we, we've just got to keep fighting about that. People, uh, I, I talked with Dave uh, Smith who unfortunately has, uh, who passed away last week uh, and I, I talked with Dave Smith and we both agreed that as much time as we spend researching and documenting Disney history, we spend just as much time trying to debunk 
you know, all of these false stories that are out there. And, and, and so you've got to do that so that the darkness doesn't win. And so I just like to say to all of you, may all your dizzy dreams come true. You know, Jim, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, and we'd love to have you back on in the future. Um, I'd love to come back. Jim, um, it's a pleasure as it always is. And to everyone listening, if you want to support Jim, go buy all of his books. They're great. I love them. I think I read them all in like a day. That doesn't mean they're short. It just means I'm a fast, ferocious reader. If you want to support this podcast, you can click the support button on our website to support us, or you can record a voice message and have it sent in, and the next time we have Jim on, we'll have him answer your questions. Sure. We thank you for listening, Jim and I, and Taylor, and Christine, and everyone at Monorail News. Have a great, big beautiful tomorrow. We'll see you next week.